0: Well, I just wanna share a quick memory that I have as we're in this Game Changer series. And it's a memory that goes back almost a decade when I was a college student. And I remember this one specific night, it was finals week. And um, how many of you guys dread finals week, anybody? A couple, a couple, all right, so I'm not alone, right? And um, it was one of those nights where I was in the library, it was getting to the later hours, and I was just struggling. I was struggling to focus. I was struggling to keep my mind right. I was struggling because I knew that there was a test coming up in the morning. I remember walking back to my apartment at the time and I was walking and I was just talking to the Lord. And I just wanna give you a quick word right there that you can do that. Maybe you just never spend time with God, especially when you're walking through struggle. I remember just walking down the street and it was dark and it was cold and I had my big puff jacket on and I was just saying, God, I need you a prayer that I pray every day. Father, I need you. I need your strength right now. I need to focus right now, but I need to rest right now. I need you to bring back things to my my, my memory that I learned as we go into this time. I need you to give me focus. I need you to give me strength. And it was in this time that a game-changing moment happened in my life. There was a soft, still whisper. That spoke directly to my heart. It was just what we sang. He steadied my heart by giving me this word. And now I want to be clear really quick. This was not an audible voice from God. This wasn't a, a, a thunder in the sky that said, Hiden, right? Or however God would sound, okay? Um, this was an impression that was in my heart as I was having a dialogue, a conversation with God. Lord, I need to hear you. Help my mind get right right now, renew it right now. And God gave me a word, an impression on my heart, and here's what this whisper sounded like. Walk in me. Hayden, walk in me. And I remember pausing for a second as I was walking back and I thought, walk in me. The Lord is calling me to not do this on my own. He's calling me to walk in him. A couple things that I learned in that moment. One, I knew enough about the Bible to know that if you hear a voice in your head or even in your heart, you gotta always test it. Sometimes it could be you. It could be the lunch you had earlier that day. It could be that it was just late. And so I said, all right, well, I gotta test this by the word of God. I wanna give you that as a first encouragement. In 1 John chapter 4, verse one, I wanna read this verse off the screen with you. The apostle John writes to his church and he says in 1 John 4, one, he says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. John writes to his church and he says, let me tell you something, don't believe every spirit. Not every single spirit is from God. There have been entire religious cults that have began because somebody said, God spoke to me. It was, it was he did, I promise you. And they'd never tested it by the word. The word is our grid for whether something is from God or not. If it doesn't match with the word, it's not from God. Here's how I know that, because God never contradicts himself. God's not going to say one thing and then tell you something different. And so he said, walk in me to me. And when he speaks to us, he's really just speaking what he's already spoken through his word. And so I said, all right, I need to go into a study of God's word because even if he can impress something on me in the 21st century, I need to hear it from him through his word today. I love how John Piper says it. He says, the Bible is the very voice of God. In it, he speaks in the 21st century. Let me just remind you that God can speak to you today. Just read your Bible. 66 books. Over 40 different authors written on over three continents. God is speaking to us through these pages. The Bible is living and active, sharper than any two-edged swords piercing straight to your heart. God has a word for you through his word. So I began to study God's word. And it was in that time, church, that I came across a verse of scripture that changed the game. Changed the game in my life. If you're ready for it, say ready. Ready. If you're ready and you're hungry to eat, say let's eat. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, potentially one of my favorite verses of all time, says these words with us right here. Therefore, comma, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, comma. So here's what you got to do about it. Walk in Him. Father God, I pray right now that you would minister to us through your word this morning, that you would steady our hearts that you would change our lives, God. I pray that no person that came to church this morning would leave here the same, God. We need to hear you. We don't need to hear another message from a man. We need to hear a message from God through a man. So speak to us here this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and walk through this verse. This is a powerful verse of scripture. The title of my message would simply be, Walk in Him. Walk in him. He starts out by saying, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Let's just take a second to identify this word, therefore. You've heard it put before like this. The word therefore is there for a reason. Amen. It really is put there so that we can focus in on this point. Verse 6 is actually sandwiched in between two verses that if we don't understand the two surrounding verses, we'll miss the reason for verse six. So I just wanna give us a couple of context clues so that we can understand what's happening here. In Colossians chapter two, verse four through eight, we see what verse six is sandwiched in between. The apostle Paul is writing to the church that he planted in the city of Colossae. It's a smaller church, And he's writing to them some instruction and counsel. And he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. He goes on in verse 8 and he says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Test them, he says, "And and not according to Christ. So what was happening here in the Colossian church It was in Phrygia of Asia, which is a modern-day Turkey of the age that we live in. And in this church, there became philosophers that came knocking on the door. There were skeptics. There were atheists. There were people that had different views on the law and and religious views and different things that began to cloud the thinking of the Colossian church. People came in and said, wait, wait, wait. It's not just by grace alone through faith alone. You got to add this to it. And if you don't do it this way, then it's not really true. And it can't be Jesus only. How close-minded is that? Or it can't be that that, that Jesus saves and that he died on the cross and rose from the grave. Did he really rise from the grave? Tell me about it. Let's argue about it. And Paul's saying, hey, you can waste your time on all these arguments and go nowhere, or you can remember what happened that day you received Christ Jesus the Lord and began to walk in him. So in between, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments with their eloquent speech and their, their argumentative ways. I say this so that the philosophies of, of the universities, etc., don't begin to take away the truth of God that was planted in your heart when you received Jesus. The elemental spirits of this world that aren't according to Christ, but are according to Satan. He says, i got a word for you this morning. Hone in here. Therefore, Colossians 2.6 is there to point us to the remedy between verse four and verse eight. He says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. I wanna talk a little bit about this word received. I don't believe that it's an accident that the apostle Paul, inspired by God, used the word received here. Different from the word believed. He doesn't say Therefore, as you believed in Christ Jesus the Lord, he actually says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Just say that word with me. Just say received. received. I want to make sure we're all tracking right here because this is an important piece to Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. It's the Greek word, paralambano, which means by definition, to take with oneself or to join with oneself. What he's saying here, he's saying, therefore, as you've joined yourself to Christ. Therefore, as you have made yourself one with Christ, so walk in him. We see this true also in the gospel of John chapter one, verse 11 through 12, as the, uh, the author John is taking us into this series. As Jesus begins his ministry, he says these exact words. He says, Jesus, he came to his own and his own people did not Paralambano him. They did not receive him, comma, or period. But to all who did paralombano him, to all who did receive him, here's what he did. Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here's why this is important for us to grasp this morning, because believing and receiving go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. You can't say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. I haven't received Jesus, but I believe in him. That's not biblical faith. To believe in Jesus is to receive Jesus for who he is. Jesus makes this point clear. They, they may have believed in him. They may have said, hey, that's Jesus. He claims to be the Messiah. I believe it, but I don't receive him. I don't join myself with him. I don't identify myself with him. What baptism is saying here, and you'll see it soon, is, yeah, I identify with the cross. I identify with the resurrection. That story has become my story. I receive it. I receive him. And in this case, he's saying, hey, those who've received and believed in his name, he gave them the right. What type of right does Jesus give us? Come on. He gives us the right to become children of God. Not, not just a student, definitely not an enemy. Friends, not just a friend. We just sang the song, I am a friend of God, which is super awesome, good news. Let me give you even better news when you can say, I'm a child of God. Like it's one thing when a friend comes over and that's my friend, good to see you. It's another thing if you're part of the family, amen? Yeah, that's good right there. I clap for that because I want to be a part of his family. God says, if you receive my son, Jesus, as your Lord and Savior, you become a part of the family. I give you the right to be an adopted son or child. I've got a fellow heir with Christ. So you can intellectually believe in Jesus and miss him. You can informationally believe in Jesus and miss him. And let me tell you, if that's your testimony this morning, if you say, hey, I, I, I intellectually believe that Jesus existed, that historically he's true and that he claimed to be the savior and you know i believe that i want to ask you a question all right this is a theologically deep question what makes you different than a demon that's challenging right let me show it to you in james chapter 2 verse 19 read this verse off the screen with me ready one two three you believe that there is one god good even the demons believe that and shudder the demons are doing better than some of us. At least they're shuddering. At least they're like terrified, right? He says, you, James, the brother of Jesus, inspired by God, writes these words. He says, you believe that good, good for you. I remember once I'm having a discussion with a, a friend of mine at the gym and he, he looked at me and he said, you know what, Hayden? I, I believe the same thing that you believe about Jesus. You just live it out and I don't. What does that mean? How, what makes you different than a demon? They believe the same thing that I believe. They just don't live it out. James says, Good, good for you. Even the demons believe. The devil knows more scripture than all of us in the house this morning, but he never received Jesus. The key is whether or not you've received it, you paralambano. I joined myself to Christ. I, I was a branch that was laying down on the floor, on the, on the grass. When I put my faith in Jesus and received him, God picked the branch up and attached it to the tree. I'm now attached to the vine. I can actually bear fruit. I can be used. Don't just throw me into the fire. Don't just let me be a branch that goes off with the wind. I want to be attached. I want to make a difference. That's what happens when you receive. Well, who is it that we receive? That's the question that I want us to answer right here. I heard some people in the crowd say Jesus. I think that's true. But I don't want to reduce Jesus to just Jesus. Some people have reduced Jesus to he's only Jesus. But the apostle Paul right here gives us some clues at the titles of who Jesus actually is. Let's go back to uh, Colossians chapter 2 verse 6. He says, therefore, as you received, and then he goes on to this title, He says, Christ, Jesus, the Lord. What does it mean for Jesus to be called Christ? Someone say that's his last name, right? He's Jesus Christ. But what happens when the Christ is before Jesus? He's, He's Christ Jesus. Christ is an actual authoritative title that was given to Jesus by God himself. It means Messiah, Jesus. Christ is the Greek word Christos. It translates to the Hebrew word Mashiach, which is where we get our English word Messiah. So what he's saying here, he's saying, therefore, as you have Perilambano received the Messiah, before you get to Jesus, acknowledge who you're dealing with. This is the prophesied, promised king of all kings, Jesus that you've received Amen. this is not just Jesus we're gonna to get to Jesus and we need him too but understand the Jesus that you're singing to when you say I'm his friend that's a big deal it says this is the promised king messiah it's not just received Jesus it's received him as what I've received him as who he is He's the Messiah. I like how Jonathan Edwards, the great reformer, says it. He says, Christ is at all times totally sufficient for the office he has undertaken. What he's saying here, he's saying that the Messiah is at all times sufficient and efficient for the office he has undertaken. Maybe you would ask this question, what office has Christ Undertaken. What type of office does it mean for Jesus to be called the Messiah? Let me give you a couple of phrases that when we say we've received him as the Messiah, let me give you a few phrases of what that means. First off, that means he's the savior of the world. So when you receive Christ, you've received the savior. Second off, he's the sin forgiver. No one gave me an amen on that. Wow. Maybe you haven't been forgiven. I know I'm going to amen myself. Amen, that he's my sin forgiver. When I receive Christ, I receive the one who forgives me and cleanses me of all my sin. Yesterday, today, and forever. We we receive the wrath remover. The wrath remover. The truth is today that if you have not received Christ as your Savior, that the wrath of God remains on you today. (laughs) That God in his holiness, in his righteousness, has stored up wrath toward sin it's not necessarily toward you but the truth is that all of us have sinned it's toward the sin that you have committed the wages of your sin is death and that death will be fulfilled by God's wrath However, God's wrath is displayed for us on the cross as Jesus took on your wrath, bore your sin, and now is able to forgive you as he rose from the grave and you put your faith in him. That's the gospel. When you receive the Messiah, you receive the Savior, the sin forgiver, the wrath remover, the promised one who was and is to come, did you know that there are hundreds of prophetic verses in the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi? God is continually saying, One day I'm going to send him, he's coming, he's coming. He's gonna come, and he's gonna set you free. He's gonna come and save the day. He's gonna come and deliver you. He's gonna come, and he's gonna die for you. He's gonna come, and he's gonna rise for you. He's gonna come, and he's gonna be born of a virgin. Merry Christmas. He's gonna come, and he's gonna save the day. He's coming, and then Jesus came, and he says, now you, walk church, can receive him. Yes. You could receive him, the Messiah. You get a chance to receive him? You get to join teams with him? It's like you're in a pickup basketball game and you're on the sidelines. Like, is anybody gonna pick me up? And then Jesus says, you, I want you with me. Really, me? (laughs) To join the Messiah's team? That's good news right here. The perfect and spotless one who changed history with his life. I mean, come on guys, right? Jesus stopped time on his birthday. (laughs) Like, why is it 2018? Well, go back 2018 years ago and see the Messiah arrive. Like like your birthday was cool, right? Jesus like stopped time on his birthday and started over. I mean, that's the Messiah. Why does that happen? That's the Messiah that we're talking about here today. This is the Christ who we get a chance to receive. And no matter what we walk through, if you've received the Savior, the Christ, he is sufficient to get you through it. I love how Billy Graham says it. The revivalist says, no matter what trials we face, Christ never leaves us. He is with us every step of the way. Talk about walk in him. Walk in who? I want to walk in him. Walk in the Messiah. No matter what trials we face, the Messiah, Christ. Do this. As you read through the New Testament, every time you see the word Christ, Exchange it for the Messiah. Just so you can fully realize who it is you're reading about. He is the Messiah. But he's not just the Messiah. He is therefore, as you received the Messiah, Jesus. Jesus. What does it mean for him to be Jesus? What does it mean for him to be called Jesus? The name Jesus was a human name. Translates to the Hebrew word Yahshua, which meant salvation. It was a symbolism of God saving. In this case, for Christ to be also Jesus means that he is 100% man. He is able to relate with you today. He is able to be friends with you today. When you say, yeah, I've received not just the big 100,000 foot Messiah, but I've also received Jesus, the carpenter, the one who was actually born as a baby. Like my son can relate to Jesus because he was once a baby. He grew up, he was once a teenager. He once ran away from his parents. <laughs> he was teaching the rabbis in the temple when he ran away, but nonetheless, he did do that, right? And he grew up in wisdom and stature. He got a haircut. He he brushed his teeth. He hung out with other people. He had friends. He he, he lived the ordinary life that you and I live, but the difference between you and him is simply this. He never sinned. He never sinned. He was spotless. He was always the son of God, and he never sinned. Here's a couple other things that it it, it means for us when we say we received Jesus. When we say we received Jesus, we received someone who you can relate to on all levels except for our sin. We receive the human Jesus. We receive the friend Jesus. We receive the image of the invisible God. I love in Colossians chapter one, the apostle Paul tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Maybe you heard it put like this before. If God were to pull out his iPhone and take a selfie, Jesus would pop up on the phone, all right? Right. Jesus is that image. Maybe you thought, man, God is so, so distant. What does he look like? What does he feel like? What does he smell like? What is, what is God like? Jesus said, when you see me, you've seen the Father. The works that I do are not my works. They're the Father's works. The words that I say, they're not my words. They're what the Father says. You see the image of the invisible God in Jesus. When you received him, you received Jesus, the one who people see and the one who sees you today, the one who loves you, the Messiah Jesus who is with you. The last thing that I believe is so important to understand when you say you receive Jesus is you've received someone who can relate. He can relate. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 and 16 say it like this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. I don't know about you, but I have weaknesses. I do. I have very real weaknesses. And when I say I've received Jesus, I've received one who can sympathize with me in those weaknesses. But one in every respect has been tempted as we are, maybe you say, hey, I've been tempted in ways that nobody else in this church has been tempted. Maybe you're right. Probably unlikely, but maybe you're right. Jesus would say, hey, I can relate. I've been tempted in every respect as you are, yet was without sin. Verse 16, so what do we do about that, church? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive, come on, we may paralombano mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. When you're in a time of need, when you're in a time of weakness, when you're in a time of struggle, here's what I want you to do. Don't receive other uh, sources of help or help. Go to Jesus because he can relate He can sympathize and you can find help in that time of need. You receive the Messiah, the King of Kings, and you receive the very human man himself, Jesus. The last title that we've received him as is this, the Lord, Christ Jesus, the Lord. Therefore, as you've received the Messiah, Jesus, the Lord, So walk in him. The word Lord is the Greek word kurios. It means to whom a person or thing belongs to. There's some synonyms that the Greek lexicon gives for the word kurios, Lord. Here's some synonyms. Owner, possessor, king, emperor, chief, one who is in complete authority. Do these words define your relationship with Christ? Think about it like this. Therefore, as you receive the Messiah, Jesus, your authority, your owner, your king, your Lord, your master, the one that you submit to, the one that you follow, the one who is in authority of your life, the one that you say yes to, the one that you have such a tight-knit relationship with that you're willing to do whatever he calls you to do, the Lord. If we miss this I believe we'll miss the first two. We may be, we we we, we must be careful to guard ourselves from what's called gospel reductionism, where we reduce Jesus to just one thing. Some people reduce Jesus just to a genie in a bottle. I just go to Jesus to get my wish answered. Some people reduce Jesus to an ATM machine. I just go to Jesus because I need money. Some people reduce Jesus to just a doctor. I just go to Jesus because I need healing. Some people, go, you know, reduce Jesus to all these. We got to be careful to not reduce Jesus to anything but for who he is. Like, I, it's, be, be guarded from that. As if you can go to the Jesus buffet. You're like, all right, hmm. Forgiveness, <laughs> a lot of that. What do we got next here? Grace, I want some of that. Lord, skip that. Messiah, no, mercy, mercy, yeah, right? We, we skip, we reduce Jesus to these specific things, but we need to receive him for who he is. The reality is the word savior is le- used less than five times in the New Testament. The, the New Testament refers to Jesus as savior less than five times. It refers to Jesus as Lord over 40 times. What's the point that God is trying to make? Yes, he's the savior, but here, really big that he's also the Lord. God has bestowed upon Jesus the name that is above every name. And that name is not just Jesus, that's a very common name. What's the name that's above every name? Lord. No one else gets that title. No one else gets called capital L Lord. Even in the Old Testament, they referred to David as Lord, but it was always lowercase because he was the king of Israel. He was emperor in a way. He was chief. He was in an authority. He was King David. He was the Lord David. But even David knew that I have a true Lord. I submit to the capital L, Lord. And when you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, you've received the one who is in complete authority and control of your life. And because God is so good, that's a good thing and not a bad thing. There's some teaching that goes back to some historical studies about the the early church, specifically in Rome, where the church was beginning to explode all around Europe. And the ruler of that time was a man by the name of Caesar. And Caesar would demand that every citizen in Rome would come before him, bow their knee, and say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar wanted to make sure that everybody recognized who he was. But for the Christian, come on, Caesar is no longer Lord. Jesus is Lord. We have a new identity. And therefore, to answer that question with integrity changes everything. There's a story of a lady named Perpetua. I remember learning about Perpetua in my European history class. This wasn't a Christian class. This was just a history class. Perpetua was brought in front of Caesar, bowed the knee, and she said, Jesus is Lord. And Caesar in his time, what did she just say? Jesus is Lord. With all due respect, sir, you are not the Lord of my life. Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. And I will bow my knee to him alone. And she was sent to the lion's den that next week because they gave her a whole week to repent of that turn from her statement they had her sister call her they had her parents travel down to rome to convince her just say something different even if you believe jesus is lord just go ahead and tell him what he wants to hear who cares and she said i care i don't want to be fake i don't want to lie i don't want to make stuff up how about the other brothers and sisters that went before me Plus, I know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen. I'm not missing much. This is just a, stop, a pit stop for eternity. And Perpetua looked at her mom and looked at, looked at her sister and said, I love you guys, but I'll stay true to my Lord. And her testimony is still talked about today. How about it? Go ahead and research the testimony of Perpetua. And she's not alone. There's hundreds of thousands of people in the Middle East right now, in different parts of Africa, in different parts of Europe that are not bowing their knee to Caesar or to anybody else, but keep their faith in Jesus because they've received him as their Lord and their Savior, that there are over 100,000 martyrs a year. Did you know that? People that lose their lives for their faith. It's true today. So if you're able to stand and walk church this morning and say, I have Paralambano received Christ the Messiah... Jesus, the son of God, the man that never sinned. And he is the Lord of my life. If that's you this morning, I have a last minute message for you. You ready for it? Comma, Colossians 2, 6. So here's what you got to do. Walk in him. So Paul's saying, so Colossian church. So here's the, here's the kicker right here. Here's, here's the final word. If you've received that. College student that's trying to make it through finals week, Jesus was trying to say, Hey, walk in me, walk in Him. When you step in the room as a believer and follower of Jesus, you don't go by yourself. Every morning when you wake up to get out of bed, leave yourself in the bed and say, Jesus, today I'm walking in you, you're the Messiah. You're the Lord, you're the Savior. I'm none of those things. When I walk in myself, I'm so limited. When I walk in Him, I'm limitless. I wanna walk in Him. I wanna walk in Him. I love how Major Ian Thomas says it. Look at this quote with me really quick on the screen. And worship team, you guys can make your way back up here as we get ready to respond and worship. Major Ian Thomas says it like this. He says, what is so completely amazing is that God is prepared to be God in you, not figuratively, but factually. Everybody say facts. Facts. I like it. You can actually share his life and be transformed into his likeness. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I was reading in a commentary on what does it mean for the believer to quote, unquote, walk in him. I like this quote here from J. Vernon McGee, and we'll get ready to close with this. J. Vernon McGee, a commentator on the Bible, says, walking is not a balloon ascension. Now listen here. A great many people think the Christian life is some great overwhelming experience and you take off like a rocket going into space. That's not where you live the Christian life, church. Rather, it's in your home. In your office, in the schoolroom, on the street. The way you get around in life is to walk. You are to walk in Christ. God grant you and I might be joined to Him. It's the same word for received. That we might be joined to Jesus in our daily walk, every day with whatever it is you do, businessman, businesswoman, football coach, high school teacher, principal, friend, teammate, realtor, mom, dad, brother, sister, grandparent, videographer, whatever it is that you do, walk in Him. Bring Jesus into every aspect of your life. Bring Christ into your marriage. Bring Christ into your parenting bring Christ into your school not in a way where you need to get fired but in a way where you can be you and walk in him that's the calling on our lives if you can say yes today if you haven't received him for who he is then this may not apply to you right I like how Hudson Taylor the great missionary once said it he said hey Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all We can't reduce him to any one thing. It's not whether or not you've received him, it's have you received him for who he is? Christ Jesus, the Lord. If that's your story, take a step and walk in him. That moment changed the game in my life. I went from living a a, a Christianity that was dependent only enough to say, God help me, or I'm gonna do this by myself to, all right, I'm actually walking in Christ. Lord, I pray you would change the atmosphere when I walk in right now, because I don't walk in myself, I walk in him. Lord, help me to be the better husband I need to be. Give me the energy, because you're in me. I walk in you. Help me to be the the dad that you call me to be, because you're in me, I walk in you. When I go out on the court, I'll be shooting a free throw, talking to Jesus. Lord, here we go, I'm, I'm playing in you. I don't leave Jesus in the car when I go to the gym, I'm walking in him. It's a mind shift, it changed the game. This church was planted off of that verse. Maybe you would think, why do we call it walk church? Because we're a church of people that don't walk in ourselves. We're a church of people that walk in him, step by step, walking in him, walking in him. I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to this message right now. If you would bow your head and close your eyes, we're gonna pray a prayer. And if today, maybe you would need to receive Jesus. You have that opportunity to do that today.